Welcome to We the People, a podcast giving a Christian perspective on news, politics, hot topics, and so much more. Hosted by Rodney Nesmith, worship pastor at New Life Fellowship in Lovelock, Nevada. This week, Pastor Rodney is joined by Betsy Brantner-Smith with the National Police Association. The latest episode of We the People will start right after this quick commercial break. Uh, I don't know Jake from State Farm. But just imagine my homes and my auto. Best bond on the league, baby. Man, why can't Patrick change his name? It could be Kelsey and Kelsey how much you can save by bundling home and auto. Yeah? Can you make the letters smaller? My homes, my auto, let's go. Come on, model, let's get it. Put your jersey on. Bundling, just another way to save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. the latest episode of We the People. Here's Rodney. Good evening, everybody. This is Rodney, your host of the We the People podcast, and we've got a fabulous guest for you tonight, Betsy Brantner-Smith. She is a 29-year veteran of the police force, and she's obviously retired police officer. She's a trainer, an author, a consultant, and a commentator on Newsmax TV from time to time on police issues and crime and things. So, Betsy, thank you for being on We the People tonight. It's an honor to have you. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. Awesome. Now, first of all, I want to hear about your career because 29 years as a police officer, that's a, that's a career right there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'm a Midwest kid. I grew up on a farm in Northern Illinois and I actually became a police dispatcher at 17. And I wow. did that for most of my senior year in high school. I went to college and I uh, was a dispatcher at the college police department. And then about two weeks out of college, uh, I found myself in the Cook County Sheriff's Police Academy uh, in, uh, in the Chicago suburbs. And I worked for 29 years in the Chicago suburbs as a police officer. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was just fantastic. I, uh, there weren't a lot of women when I started and, uh, um, but that, uh, that changed and, um, we, uh, you know, I just, I just had an amazing career. You know, I was undercover for four years. I was a detective. Oh, wow. I was a field training officer. I ran our, um, crowd control bike team. I ran crime prevention. I was a juvenile detective, um, and, uh, and a pat- patrol sergeant where I got to run canine and I ran animal control and uh, I just really had, I got to do almost everything uh, that I thought I would want to do as a police officer in those 29 years. And, uh, and for uh, two thirds of that 29 years, I had kind of a parallel career where I wrote uh, articles. I, I've written literally thousands of articles for every police website and magazine um, you can think of plus some firearms magazines. I was wow. on the board of, uh, uh, police marksman magazine. I'm the only female ever to teach, uh, the caliber press street survival seminar. Um, and was very involved in that, uh, did a lot of video for police one.com. And, uh, uh, now I own, uh, a training company that, uh, we've, again, I've owned for about 20 years. My husband, um, 
is uh, my partner in that. Actually, he works for me. Let me throw that. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, <laughs> and the cops listening will know him as J.D. Buck Savage. My husband is Dave Smith. Um, just a really prolific writer and trainer in his own right. And uh, yeah, three years ago, I got a, a request from the National Police Association if I wanted to write for them and then be their spokesman. So I spend almost every day talking to the media. I do a lot of Newsmax, Fox mm -hmm. News, Fox Business, um, and uh, virtually every print uh, newspaper that you can uh, think of nationally and internationally. Uh, I talk to reporters. Well, well, it doesn't really sound like you're very retired then. I have failed <laughs> miserably at retirement. I am the most unretired retiree in my department, I think. <laughs> Sounds that way. My goodness. Uh, well, I think all of that is awesome. I mean, it sounds like you pretty much did everything in the police department at one point or another. Yeah, I, I you know, I, uh, in fact, I was talking, I was doing an interview today with a, a retired police chief. I also have my own show on uh, Pluto and uh, on DirecTV, and it's on the National Police Association uh, YouTube page as well. But I was doing an interview today, and we were talking about Citizen Police Academy, which I used to run our Citizen Police Academy. And that, you know, I really miss, um, I don't necessarily miss, you know, the, you know, the police work, you know, mm -hmm. you know, 29 years was long enough uh, time, but I sure miss the people. I miss the cops, of course, but I'm right. fortunate as a trainer, um, I am able to interact with uh, police officers, you know, almost every week, um, both nationally and internationally. And, uh, but I miss things like Citizen Police Academy and mm -hmm. the Crime Prevention Unit, you know, dealing with citizens. Most people love cops. And, yeah. uh, you know, despite what the media tells us. And uh, I sure miss those days when, uh, you know, I was able to really interact day to day with citizens. Well, that's awesome. That, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Most people do not villainize the cops like the media wants to do. And a few people, you know, that seem to think all cops are bad and, you know, all this kind of thing, which is a bunch of malarkey, mm -hmm. <laughs> a complete bunch of malarkey. I mean, there's I don't care what profession you're in or what field of work you're in. There's always some people that make the rest look bad because Truly. they don't do their job right or they're not really trying to do their job to the way they're supposed to or were trained to do it. Well, and that's the thing, you know, I, you know, there's so much frustration because, um, you know, if, if you listen to certain uh, pundits or political mm -hmm. leaders or activists, um, you know, every American cop wakes up every day and says, oh, I can't wait to go shoot an unarmed black man. And, <laughs> right. uh, you yeah. know, and that's just not accurate. No. You know, we and that's what the National Police Association does. We help fight that false narrative. Um you know, American law enforcement officers are forced to kill about a thousand people um, a year. And uh, mm -hmm. of those thousand people, somewhere around 250 or 300 are African-American. Um, usually about double that uh, are uh, Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so the narrative is is absolutely false. And And here's the thing, you know, at least 250,000, and there are some new studies coming out 
um, that doubles and triples that, but about at least 250,000 people die each year of medical mistakes. We're not putting doctors in prison. We're not, right. you know, we don't have big, you know, Black Lives Matter protests outside of our hospitals. Um, mm -hmm. Over 300 educators last year were arrested for uh, sex crimes, including sexual assault against children. And again, we're not protesting schools. We're not trying to burn them down. We're not right. handing schools over to the community. So it's just that, you know, law enforcement, this, you know, since 2014, we've, we've had this war on cops and this false narrative that somehow we're the problem. Right. And, uh, and so I'm very grateful to be able to get out there and, and fight that false narrative. Yeah. Well, somebody needs to, because, I know it's a false narrative and most common thinking people know it's a false narrative with their own dealings with police. I mean, I, I have never had an interaction with a police officer of any kind that was negative. That was bad. You know, um, I live in rural Nevada. I got pulled over coming home from work one day by a Nevada highway patrol. And I thought, Oh, what, what did I do? I wasn't speeding, but what, what's going on here? And uh, he came up and he goes, did you know your registration is out of date? And I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I said, no, I had no clue. And uh, what we had done, we had changed our P.O. box and didn't put it into the DMV. Forgot to put that in. And he goes, well, he goes, well, okay. He goes, I can see that you're, you know, this is not an issue. He goes, just get it taken care of. I said, okay, will do. No problem. And he said, have a safe drive home. That was it. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll, man, that was nice. <laughs> you know, I thought that was really nice of him. Yeah, I mean, it's really true. I, gosh, I'll confess, I haven't told uh, many people this, but uh, I got pulled over last month and uh, <laughs> I was on an antelope hunt and I was, uh, uh, you know, talking to the girl, my girlfriend that was in the truck and uh, I was going a little fast and a deputy pulled me over and, uh, and he, you know, told me I was speeding. And I said, man, you know, I'm not that familiar with the area. And uh, and he's like, okay, you know, he checked me out. And he said, hey, you know, we appreciate our hunters here. We appreciate the visitors to our county. And uh, just slow down. Okay. And I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just, it was a fantastic uh, interaction. And that's the thing, you know nobody wants to get pulled over the, by the police. No. I mean, I understand what that feeling is when you look in your rearview mirror and there's the red lights and everything. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, same thing. You kind of hold your breath. What did I yeah. do? <laughs> and I mean, I was speeding, you know, I wasn't driving like a maniac, but I was speeding. And, uh, and again, a very positive interaction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the thing, the national police association, we have a, a series of public service announcements that we, you know, we play on, you know, various uh, television shows and on the radio and this and that. And um, one of them is comply now, complain later. Just comply with the police officer's lawful orders, you know, whatever, right. you know, hand over your driver's license, please get out of the car, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, let them see your hands, all of that. And then if the police officer does something wrong or they're rude or you don't like what happened, complain about it, you know, but get through that interaction right. first and then go to the police station and complain or call their supervisor or call the chief or the sheriff. Um, but comply now, complain later, because very often when people, um, you know, start arguing with the police officer and then they fight or they panic and they run, 
That's when mm -hmm. somebody gets hurt, whether it's a cop right. or a citizen or both. Comply now, complain later. Seems pretty simple, right? It does seem very simple. And, you know, the thing is, if you do get pulled over for some reason, you can't automatically cop an attitude with the police officer or the highway patrolman, whoever it may be, because that just puts them going, you know, kind of on edge a little bit. And it's like, that's not the kind of interaction you want to have, you know, be polite, do what they ask you to do, you know, and keep your hands visible, you know, all those kinds of things. And uh, you're probably going to have a pretty good interaction with them most times. Well, and that's the thing, you know, we always want people to understand that there is, you know, a few things more frightening than having to walk up to a vehicle where you can't uh, see inside of it. Until mm -hmm. you get up there, you have no idea, um, you know, how many people are in the vehicle till you get right up on it. You have no idea. Is this person just, you know, bring their kids home from soccer practice or did right. they just do an armed robbery? Of course, we have no idea. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's a very tense situation for a police officer. And the last thing that officer needs is now, you know, somebody arguing and, and right. you, know, you know, wanting to fight and things like that again. You know, just comply with what they're doing. Nobody mm -hmm. likes getting a ticket. Boy, I understand no, that. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, but, you know, if you don't like what the officer did, there is a system, there is a mechanism to be able to uh, complain about it. Yeah. Now I have a question. Why is it that, and I'm, I think I know the answer, but why is it that, especially on highway patrol and a lot, and I don't know if it's so much in city are always traveling by themselves. They don't have a partner in the car with them. Those types of things. Is it just lack of personnel or is it just the way it is on for highway patrolmen? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, generally speaking in the highway patrol and I'm married to a highway patrolman. Um, <laughs> Uh, generally speaking, they, they ride, you know, one person cars, but most police departments, uh, in the U S you know, whether it's uh, county, state city, unless they're in really, really, um, super high crime areas, they tend to be, uh, you know, one man vehicles. I, mm -hmm. I spent, you know, all of my years in patrol, um, riding in a one-person vehicle unless I was training a new recruit. So that's more typical. And and you're very right. Part of that um, is staffing. You know, nine out of every 10 police departments in this country is short-staffed. It's also expensive to have two police officers in a patrol vehicle, um, so much cheaper to just oh, yeah. have one. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that trend... Um, you know, kind of uh, kickstarted in the late seventies, early eighties, where we went to uh, one-person patrol vehicles again, except for um, uh, in you know very, very, very dangerous areas of like Chicago, New York, and and right. LA, and things like that. I mean, when when I was a kid, and I was thinking about, oh, I think I want to be a cop. You know, who was I watching? I was watching Reed and Malloy on Adam Twelve, and they were there all together, and. Yeah. And I was so disappointed when I became a police officer. And after my field <laughs> training was over, I'm by myself, you know, where's Rita Malloy? I need a partner. Right. And, right, uh, exactly. um, but, uh, but it is, you know, 90% of any police department's budget is personnel cost. Mm. So 
having a, a two-person vehicle is uh, super expensive for any jurisdiction. So we mostly are down to uh, one-person vehicles. Well, and speaking of staffing, defund the police has got to be one of the stupidest ideas ever because you literally want to take money away from the police departments so you're going to have less people patrolling, less people to call for 911. I mean, it. how dumb can you be, really? I mean, that is just one of the dumbest ideas ever. Well, and you know, this this started in 2014. The, the war on cops really started yeah. with the, the Ferguson, Missouri shooting of a gangbanger named Michael Brown who was trying to disarm mm -hmm. a cop. And uh, it was a 100% good shoot. It was investigated multiple times. But that's when we started to hear this, oh, we can't have warrior cops anymore. And we can't, we've got to demilitarize mm -hmm. police officers, take away any of that, those military uh, vehicles that they have, take away, you know, Barack Obama, to, yeah. uh, you know, stopped uh, providing, you know, old military equipment to police officers. And then, you know, you fast forward with the death of George Floyd, yeah. And, uh, and that's when the defund the police movement, you know, and we heard not just defund the police, um, but we heard reimagine police. We heard um, do away with police altogether. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, when we, when we, you know, now we have three and a half years of the defund the police, the defund the police movement. And, you know, so many of those politicians have walked that back and they've outright lied about it and said, oh, we didn't yeah. defund the police, even though there's, you know, there's literally yeah. hundreds of hours of videotape, mm -hmm. um, you know, of people calling to defund the police. But those cities that were quote unquote defunded, you can, you can track all of that right now, you know, starting with Austin, Texas, the first city that defunded their police department by millions and millions of dollars. Austin, Texas is almost unrecognizable now, be, you know, because they lost all the community policing programs. Then they lost police officers. Then, they, of course, they got in a woke pro county prosecutor in Travis County. But you can you look at Seattle and Portland, L.A., Chicago, New York, uh, you know, Philadelphia I could go on and on. Yeah, all yeah. those cities that were defunded are now those cities that we're all talking about with, you know, high crime, high homicide, right. high retail theft. It's directly related. And yet mm -hmm. we'll have pundits out there and politicians saying, well, it wasn't defund the police. It was the pandemic. That's just not true. No, it's not. That is not true at all. <laughs> when you take money away from the police departments, crime is going to go up. It's like I said, it's one of the dumbest ideas ever. If you thought it wasn't going to affect the crime rate because it's directly correlated. Yeah. It's, it was so illogical. And I, you know, yeah. I, I, it was a very childish notion. Well, we're going to, we're going to take money away from those big, bad cops, those mean cops. And, and it, who it really hurt, uh, especially um, in those, in those large cities were the very people that groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa, you know, purported to want to support people right. of color, uh, people who live in poverty, people mm -hmm. in poor neighborhoods. Those are the people that, you know, if, if here's the thing, if, if your city, if you lived in, for example, Austin, Texas, and it got dangerous, um, if you were a person of some means, you could move. You could right. go to a safer city. You could go to the country. You could, you know, go to uh, an Austin suburb. 
um, poor people can't do that as easily. Exactly. And exactly so, right. you know, a perfect example is, of course, my native Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the city of Chicago now, you know, um, you know, every weekend they have, you know, 30, 40, 50 shootings, multiple homicides. Look at yeah. a city like St. Louis, second, um, you know, number two for homicides in the country, uh, you know, number mm. two, only only to uh, New Orleans. Um, again, what happened in St. Louis, of course, our police department got defunded. So it was really, it was immature. It was childish notion. It was poorly thought out. And, uh, and now so many of these cities are struggling to come back at that. Look at Washington, DC. The district is just a disaster. And, uh, and yet that's where all our political classes. Yeah. It's, it's insane to me. Um, and it's like you said, it always hurts the poorest people the most. It, you know, the, because these te- that tends to be the high crime areas most of the time. Anyways, the poorer neighborhoods um, with, you know, blacks, Hispanics, you know, whatever the, whatever the race is that live in those areas. And, you know, you're not, cops are now not out hunting down black men like, like we've heard, you know, that we've been told this. Oh, yeah, they're out hunting black men. What a load of garbage. I mean, come on. Yeah, it, it, it really, you know, there were so many, I mean, even, even the death of George Floyd now, you know, now, of mm-hmm. course, we're hearing more um, about the autopsy and, you know, and I, I, you know, who knows? I think there's a good chance that could be overturned. You know, there was so much, you can't seat a jury and then have those jurors, um, openly talk about how they are in fear for their life. They're fearful for their community. If they don't, you know, um, you know, decide a case, a a certain way, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Breonna Taylor out of Louisville is another case, you know, that just was, it was an absolute fantasy and uh, in the media. And now we know the truth about Breonna Taylor, but I still get into arguments with activists and uh, pundits on television who want to tell me that poor Brianna Taylor was a well thought of paramedic for the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And she was shot dead by rogue cops in her bed. None of that is true. Exactly and, uh, right. Um, but, uh, but you know, these, these stories take, uh, you know, take root in mm-hmm. it's like kind of, you know, like urban myths. Yeah. And uh, um, so so again, you know, that I'm not the most always the most popular person um, <laughs> on certain shows, but uh, but I enjoy being able to tell the truth. Well, and that's what we need. I mean, I and every time there's some kind of a shooting, of course, the Democrat Party, the first thing out of their mouth, gun control. We need gun control. Do you? I always want to, I would love to talk to these people and say, do you re- even realize how many gun laws are on the books already? We de- don't need more gun laws. We need more lawfulness in our communities. And we need, if you want to focus on guns, focus on getting the illegal guns off the streets, out of the gang's hands. Focus there. Then yeah. crime will drop. Then homicides will drop. But taking them away from gun owners like me isn't that doesn't affect the crime rate. It just makes me more apt to be a victim of a crime. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, on Halloween uh, weekend of uh, of this year, 2023, 
um, in Chicago, there was a mass shooting. Now, not, no, most people don't know about it because mm. we were talking about the guy in Maine who shot 18 right. people and and uh, or killed 18 people, shot 13 more. There was a mass shooting in Chicago. The man who committed that mass shooting uh, had uh, he was out, wasn't in jail, even though he had convictions for multiple felonies, including murder. But he was oh. out on the street, went to a party. Wow. Somebody insulted him. He shot up a party and uh, and shot, oh gosh, like 11, 12 people in, in the city of Chicago. The, the problem that we have is exactly what you said. We do not, in we don't use the gun laws we have on the books. Again, my native Illinois is, uh, is a perfect example. In the state of Illinois, you can't even own a firearm without a little card from the state police. We're the only state that has this called a firearm owner's identification uh, card. And, uh, and the, it's called a, you know, FOID card, we call it. Mm -hmm. You have to have one just to buy a gun. It comes from the state police. And so the state police decide, you know, you, whether you can own a gun or not to get a concealed carry permits, a whole nother huge oh, complicated deal. And, um, but the thing is when you look at Cook County, Illinois, the County that Chicago is in, we have the very first George Soros installed prosecutor by the name of Kim Fox, who does not, pursued those gun cases the way that she did the the way that she should according to the law so that's mm -hmm. why chicago almost every weekend has a mass shooting and when you look at who's committing the mass shooting it's not some law-abiding gun owner and, no. and what what the uh, uh our prosecutor and the mayor is so fond of always saying is oh well they everybody from chicago gets their guns illegally from indiana that's just not true they get them illegally from thefts, uh, you know, mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, they get them from all over the country. And, yep. uh, and you know, we're, we need to get a handle on the, and you already said it, the street gang problem in this country and stop yeah. worrying about more gun laws. We have 32,000 active street gangs in this nation right now. Nobody's talking about it. No, that's insane. That's an insane number. I mean... Yeah, you hear about the big ones, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. You hear about the big name gangs. But there's so many other gangs that nobody knows about because they're, quote, little. and uh, But they're still creating havoc in the streets, whether they're little, big, or in between. And, you know, it's like, come on, man. You guys are out of control here. You're looking at the problem from the wrong direction. And you're not prosecuting crimes like they should be prosecuted. You're putting people right back out on the street. Like you said, the guy's a convict, accused of murder, and he's out on the street. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And now we have around this country either uh, no cash bail laws mm -hmm. um, or policies. We have now we have we have about 75 of those Soros installed woke prosecutors around this country. We also have judges who are uh, far more uh, political and left-leaning than, than they are paying attention to the law. And mm -hmm. this is why the, the National Police Association, um, we are the most pro-Second Amendment police organization out there because we believe, we know for a fact that police cannot be everywhere 
Nope. And that the American public, if they so desire to uh, make use of their Second Amendment God-given rights to, you know, carry a firearm, to have a firearm at home, to train with firearms, mm -hmm. we absolutely support that. And you know what? Most cops support that as well. You know, we, yeah. the, the media loves to talk about, oh, you know, uh, law enforcement wants uh, more gun control. That's just not true. You'll hear it from police chiefs, mm -hmm. especially in areas where the police chief is hired by a far left mayor or a far left mm -hmm. uh, city council. Right. Um, but most average street cops, they're, they appreciate an armed and trained citizenry. Right. Um, the area I live in, you know, like I said, it's rural Nevada. And uh, our sheriff is very supportive of the gun rights of the community around here. And uh, when, uh, you know, when Antifa and BLM was on their, you know, trail during COVID, you know, going city to city, they found out real quick out here in the rural areas that they were not welcome. Because in the areas around me that are a little bigger city than us, um, the sheriffs met those buses on the highway and told them, don't stop in my town. Just keep right on rolling because you are not welcome here. And so, you know, they had to keep going. They ended up in Reno where they had a little problem uh, more than they should have had. And uh, but it was just like, no, we're not going to put up with that mess out here. We're not doing it. Well, and, you know, and you're, you're so right. And now with, you know, the, the, uh, our open Southern border and, you know, we oh. have people traveling in this country that we have no idea who they are. Um, you know, that also is, you know, and that's what we see now too, with the sheriffs, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's the thing about the, there's a difference between sheriffs and chiefs. And I've known some very, very good police chiefs, but the difference between sheriffs and chiefs is, you know, the sheriff is more accountable to the people. A police right. chief is more accountable to his or her, you know, mayor, city council, right. you know, whatever their city manager, whatever their system is. And 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 this is the thing. Right now, with the open southern border that we have, it is more important than ever, especially for people uh, in border states, which is where I, I live right. in Arizona now. You know, I'm, right. I'm sitting right about 80 miles from the southern border right now in the in the tucson sector where 44 percent mm -hmm. of all illegals in this country come right through this sector where i live and and uh so uh exactly what you said the more especially the more rural it is the more mm -hmm. you know you really might need uh to to use those second amendment rights and that's why they're there to you know right. you know you hear politicians talk about oh you don't need an ar-15 uh, to hunt a deer. You know what? I hunt deer. I don't hunt deer with my AR-15. I got a different <laughs> rifle for hunting yeah, deer and over things. But right. my AR-15 is to protect my home. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and so you know, we the Second Amendment didn't come about because our forefathers wanted people to hunt deer. Um, That's right. You know, it, it's that to protect correct. yourself. It's to protect mm -hmm. yourself, uh, not just from criminals, but from a tyrannical government. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. and, you know, we need to, we need to remember that and we need to talk about it, you know, pro yeah. second amendment citizens, you know, like me and you, you mm -hmm. know, we, we have to help inform our neighbors and the young people in our lives and the people we go to church with and whatever, because a lot of people don't really understand what that second amendment really is all about. 
right? And you brought it up right now that churches, churches definitely need to have gun owners in it. They need to have people in strategic place that are armed all the time. I don't care what the event is. If you're in a church setting, let's face it, where's all the focus toward the front of the church? Entrance is in the back. Your back's to whoever's coming in and you don't know in the middle of a service who's coming in the door. You better have somebody in place that does know who's coming in the door. I go to a church like that and my husband and I are two of those people who, uh, you know, are, you know, seated strategically and Mm -hmm. uh, armed appropriately. And, and, uh, and that was one of the things that drew us to this particular church, you know, gun-free zones help no one. They're targets. Bad guys. You know, again, we can go back to Robert Card, the, the main shooter, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lewis in Maine, you know, he killed 18, shot 13 more. Um, and, you know, and, and the two places that he attacked and killed most of his victims were gun free zones. He ignored it because mm-hmm. he's a bad guy, right? but the people in that bar and that bowling alley, um, presumably were unarmed. And in fact, one of the bartenders grabbed a knife and rushed him, you know, and sacrificed his own life trying to slow him down. And if that bartender would have been able to have a firearm legally, um, he could have stopped the whole thing. Might have stopped the whole thing. Have a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, you can't, and we've seen church shootings around the country. Churches are a soft target or most people think they are. And, you know, like I said, we're a little church in rural Nevada and trust me, there's at least three or four people in every service that are armed. And, and one of them is right by the entrance at the back of the church. Yeah. <laughs> one or yeah. two of them. And well, so, you know, and look at now, look at, look at our synagogues and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, this is, um, I was able to uh, interview a gentleman a few months ago uh, in New York who is head of security for his, synagogue and and you know of course the state of new york it's very difficult to yeah, even get a concealed carry permit and um you know i i always think about that because now you know since october 7th mm-hmm. um you know i there's been a real i think a new awakening first of all to americans who see right. what happened in israel and how the terrorists went door to door to door and a lot of people in israel were unarmed you know yeah. And, and, uh, um, but now, you know, we have to, we have to look at not just our churches, but of course our synagogues, our, our mosques, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and people should be able to protect themselves, especially in a place of worship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, like I said, most criminals would see that as a soft target and think, oh man, easy place to get away with it. Well, we need to make it not an easy place. Exactly. And, you know, and that's what, again, that's what our second amendment is all about mm-hmm. to protect ourselves, others around us and our community. That's what it's for. Yeah. Yeah. Truly, truly. And, and uh, you know, we, you know, here in the United States, we're so fortunate. You know, that's one of the things I do is I, I travel um, internationally to, to train as well. I've trained, mm-hmm. Um, I've trained cops from about 80 different countries, um, so far. And, uh, 
you know, we, we have so many, so much freedom here, of course, in the mm -hmm. United States and our policing system is so different than most other countries. Um, and that, and again, that's thanks to our constitution, you know, policing, right. policing is supposed to be very decentralized. Uh, that's the constitutional nature um, of the American law enforcement system. You know, most other countries, you know, they have, um, you know, some have all federal police, some have federal and then big city. Um, but, you know, most police departments in the United States are less than 10 officers. Most people don't know that. So wow. the majority of police departments in these United States are very, very tiny police departments. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's by design, you know, you, you know, you live in a, in a fairly rural area mm -hmm. and your police department there, that leadership there is because, is because of the people you elected to run your community. And right. that's how it's supposed to be in the United States. That's why our system of policing is, uh, is so unique. And I am, and I believe so successful in right. what we do because, and again, it all goes back to that constitution. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, we, we've got so many people in the, in the country now that don't literally don't know anything about the constitution. I mean, you know, because it's not really taught in schools anymore. I know when I was in high school, you had to pass a government class to graduate, which entailed <laughs> things about the constitution, the founding of our country, the Bill of Rights, yeah. um, all of those things. And you had to pass that class to graduate. If you didn't, you weren't graduating. It was plain and simple. I really highly doubt that's a thing anymore. Yeah, in most schools, it is not. And, and, uh, and that's, very, that's very unfortunate, you know, mm -hmm. because um, that's why I think so many people get sucked into this anti-police narrative mm -hmm. because they they have never been taught what the justice system is supposed to be what mm -hmm. it really entails you know I, I don't think most people know that the one of the very first things a police officer does the minute we get hired is we raise our right hand and swear an oath to the constitution not, right. not only of our state but to the United States Constitution. I had somebody ask me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, I posted something about the Constitution. This guy gets on and says, what does the Constitution have to do with policing? <laughs> and I just Everything. had to laugh. I'm like, uh, the whole point of having police departments is because of the Constitution. And I thought, geez, right. do, I, do I really waste my time explaining it to this guy? Um, but I felt, you know what? I, I felt... I felt kind of sad because yeah. I thought, gosh, you know, we really are doing um, a terrible job. And this was not a, a, a terribly young person. It wasn't a, a child. Um, mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I think that's a, a big part of the crime problem and the mental health problem that we see today in the United States, because people don't really understand that, that ultimately what our constitution is and what our laws are, which are all based on the constitution, mm -hmm. they're really just a gentleman's agreement. I promise not to steal your stuff. You promise not to steal my stuff. We promise <laughs> right. not to hurt each other. Right. And if one of us breaks that promise, 
somebody from the justice system, you know, multiple people are going to step in first a cop and then a judge and then maybe yeah. a jury. And they're going to handle that situation all according to the constitution. I don't think people really understand that yeah. anymore. So they think it's all about emotion and uh, that word equity. We hear equity. It's all oh, about equity. It's not about equity. Word. It's about equality. Word. Lady right. justice wears a blindfold for a mm -hmm. reason, because yep. if you or I go before that judge or that jury, because we did something wrong, um, it's, they're not, you know, they're not supposed to pay attention to our age or our color or our sex right. or any of that stuff. It's supposed to be, here's what you did wrong. Here's what you're supposed to uh, get punished. You know, here's the punishment you're supposed mm -hmm. to get. And, uh, but we've kind of, you know, sadly we've lost all that stuff. Well, and I mean, let's face it. I mean, laws, I mean, go back to the biblical days. They, they had laws then about what consequences were for breaking certain laws or even even down to killing somebody else's livestock, for heaven's sakes. Right. There was always yeah. a consequence. There was a price to be paid. There was justice served. And yeah. I mean, it's been around as long as mankind, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And again... The United States of America, Judeo-Christian Christian, yep. stuff here. You know, yep. when you say that to people, I mean, just even you and I talking about the Bible, mm -hmm. um, you know, that could we could be triggering someone that could be offensive. <laughs> I and, know. and uh, you know, we we don't we don't um, look at our founding. Mm -hmm. The way that we certainly did when I was in the school, probably not the way mm -hmm. when you were in school. Right. And, uh, and that we are doing a terrible disservice. Um, I think to, uh, to our young people, Oh yeah. because if you, if you don't understand, you know, even, you know, I used to, uh, you know, I would arrest, uh, you know, wealthy kids sometimes in my community and they'd pull out a lawyer's card and, and, uh, you know, hand it to me and go here, mm -hmm. you know, call my lawyer. I'm like, all right, that's great. You can call your lawyer. I'm not calling your lawyer. You're still under arrest. You're still going to the police station. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's great that you got your dad got you an expensive lawyer. And, yep. uh, um, but you're still going to get treated the same way as the mm -hmm. poor kid down the block that you yeah. were doing burglaries with or whatever it was. And, uh, and now we're supposed to, we, we're, we put too much emotion yeah. Into things, you know, it's okay to have feelings, but it, it, so much of society and the, and again, this goes back to crime is I'm going to do this because I just feel like I need to, I'm going to go in to the mm -hmm. Walgreens and I'm going to steal $900 worth of stuff because I feel like doing it. Yeah. And which I'm is not, insane. Insane. Yeah. You know, it's all about emotion and it's all mm -hmm. about, um, this is what I, you know, I don't care about the store owner and I deserve and, it. Yeah, I deserve it. I need it. I want it. And I don't mm -hmm. want to go through all that hassle of school and a job and, and this and that to earn those things. I'm just going to take it because I want yeah, it. Yeah. Right. And again, that goes back to so many kids nowadays and not just immediately, but I mean, even the generation that has in college and whatnot. They're so ignorant about the founding of our country and who, what the beliefs were of our founding fathers and all of this. They say, you, we, you know, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values and principles. And they're like, no, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you might want to take a history lesson. Yes, it was. 
Well, and that's the thing. We have this revisionist history now where we go, yeah. we can't talk about, can't talk about those founding fathers because no. some of them owned slaves, you know, or yeah. they did this or they were white or they were, there's mm -hmm. all these in, insane, uh, really, truly in, insane beliefs. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I throw out that term, you know, equity, equity of outcome. We all get the same stuff, all that, that, that is so anti, anti-American. Yeah. And, uh, and again, this goes back to when you, when you talk about, um, uh, you know, other countries and other systems of justice around the world, you know, we hear, you know, young people, oh, we should be, you know, we, let's be socialists, you know, and when you look at, and they don't, when you look not. at what the justice system is like in a, in a socialist or a communist country it is the antithesis of the american justice system and right. uh, and you know to go back to uh, illegal immigration you know one of the things we're seeing now with crimes committed by uh the quote-unquote migrants so many of the illegals they don't have the same justice system nope. where they come from they don't have uh the same value system mm -hmm. And, uh, and so they have a very difficult time assimilating into our society. So what do they do? They hook up with street gangs and they go back right. to, you know, I just read something the other day that in New York City, the red light district in New York City is uh, uh, hopping and popping again because we have all these illegals that, uh, you know, they're, they're sex workers. And so that's yeah. what they're, they're going to do. You know, so many come in, they're drug dealers, they're this, they're that. Mm -hmm. um, are, are some people coming in to get a better life? Yes. But you know, that's 1.7 million people ago and, yeah. uh, it, we, it's got to stop. It does because if, and I've heard it many times, if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. No, we're not a sovereign nation without a border. And for anybody no. who wants to, to say, uh, that's not true. Our borders are closed. Our, our, our borders are controlled. Our borders are not controlled. No, they are I, not would be happy. Anybody who wants to visit me, we'll drive down there and I'll show you how uncontrolled this border is. And, and I would uh, love to do that, by the way. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's frightening. <laughs> oh, I bet. And our border patrol is those agents are so, uh, and officers are so demoralized beyond oh, sure. anything I've ever seen because they're literally the reason that they took this job has been totally taken away from them and yep. they are nothing but babysitters and paper Social processors. Workers. And yes, it's a very, very, very difficult and it's still a very dangerous job. Yeah. They're not doing the job that they thought they were going to be doing and should be doing that. Right. They're, you know, they're processing papers. They're doing this, they're doing that. They're not protecting our border like they should be. And here's another thing that I saw the other day that just, <laughs> I can't even understand. Our federal government is down in Texas ripping out, ripping out stuff that Texas has put in place to protect the border. Mm -hmm. Ripping out the stuff. I'm like. Yeah, the Constantine wire in, yeah. in the river. And yeah, it's, it's just, uh, and, and again, these poor border patrol agents have to go, you know, because they're ordered to do so. Mm -hmm. um, remove the wire that uh, Texas DPS has put in place 
and uh, and there's this constant you know uh, battle if you yeah. will yeah. between law enforcement agencies that used to cooperate quite mm -hmm. nicely yeah and and that you know that that in of itself is a is a real problem you know we we already have enough and we all you know for those of us old enough to remember 91101 um one of the problems that we had there was that federal law enforcement and local law enforcement communicate that's right very well and and post 91101 we started doing a much better job of that and sharing information and things like mm -hmm. that we're kind of slipping back into that you know, uh, uh, lack of uh, information and intelligence sharing, mm -hmm. because very often now we're on different, different sides of the issues. And that's a problem now more than ever before. Again, going back to October 7th and what happened in Israel, you know, right. even Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI now has twice uh, told Congress that uh, the FBI is concerned about uh, terror attacks in the United States, whether it's a, a lone wolf operator who mm -hmm. is, is um, you know, being radicalized online or just because of the events in the Middle East, or there's terrorists coming over here, uh, you know, through the Southern border. We don't know who these people are. We don't know, um, you know, we're pretty sure they're not going to be law abiding citizens. And, yeah. uh, you know, so many people from, uh, you know, North Africa and Yemen and uh, exactly. Qatar and just every, you know, so many of these Middle Eastern countries, um, you know, including Somalia, you know, who, uh, mm -hmm. you know, don't give a damn about the United States and potentially want to do us harm. And we're not really doing much about it. Well, and now we're getting a lot of Chinese men for some mm -hmm. reason all of a sudden. And it's like, and the part that <laughs> is crazy is most of these are young men, able-bodied, military age, healthy. They're not coming with families. They're coming alone in groups of men. Yeah. Yeah. Several uh, times a month, I fly out of the Tucson International Airport and, uh, we, my husband and I see those people firsthand and, and the way it works down here at the border is you have the line for, you know, TSA pre first class, all that stuff. You have the regular line, uh, you know, to get, go through TSA. And then there's a third line and it's for people with no ID. They have, uh, they all have the same thing. They have a, a manila envelope, a brand new iPhone they're wearing brand new clothes from Abercrombie and Nike and all that. They uh, tend to have a pocket full of cash and some brand new luggage. And they just waltz right through with that. They have an app on their phone. Um, mm -hmm. The TSA looks at that, looks at their paperwork. And then they get on planes going anywhere they want. And exactly what you said, it's, it's so many military age, single young men, Mm -hmm. Or it's young women very often with young children. Right. And you can just tell, I used to be a sex crimes investigator and you can just tell by the, the vacant stares of Look. these poor women, yeah. how they have been abused and abused and abused. And, uh, and that's something nobody really wants to talk much about. And, no. and uh, sadly our federal government 
is uh, we're the, the our federal government's the biggest human trafficker yeah. uh, in this country, and it's just it's horrific. It's horrific. It is. It's it's bad stuff. I mean, there's a, a lot of bad stuff going on. I mean, it's just. I mean, you look at the world now compared to the way it was when I was growing up, and it's like it's almost unrecognizable. And, you know, you're just like, holy moly, this is not the country I grew up in. Yeah. You know, and uh, crime and everything like it is and DA's letting criminals out on the streets all the time and all of that. And yet people still want to come here. Yeah. I... In spite of all that, we're still the, the, the number one spot where everybody wants to go. <laughs> Well, and, you know, I mean, still, and again, I have, have, you know, done a lot of traveling and it is still the, the finest nation in the world with the best uh, justice system. And, uh, um, you know, as I talk to people from, uh, you know, other countries, especially cops, obviously, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, they, you know, we're still the big dogs, but more and more now I have people ask me, what are you people thinking? What's going on there in America? You know, and <laughs> we would like and, to know too. Yeah. And you know, it's, it gets harder and harder to explain it. Yeah, it does. It certainly does. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Bessie, man, I want to thank you for coming on with me. It's been an absolute joy and privilege to have you on. And uh, I thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. I mean, we we appreciate it uh, so much being able to talk about, uh, you know, so many of these issues and talk about the National mm -hmm. Police Association. What a what a great organization they are as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for you tonight from We the People. This is Rodney, your host. We're signing off for tonight. And again, thank you, Betsy, for being our guest. And uh, hey, we got to keep this country going. Do the right thing out there, people. Good night and God bless.